0: Well, welcome to another event in Healing is the Journey in this virtual ICSA 2023 conference with author, teacher, and leader in the Mindful Recovery Movement. He will speak today on Buddhism and the 12 steps. Many of our members have found it helpful to incorporate aspects of Buddhism and practices in our own 12-step practice. So take it over Kevin Griffin, for the next 40 or so minutes, after which we will open the meeting for, your, for any questions or comments from others. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's all yours.
1: Thanks, Jeb. Good morning, world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know, before the pandemic, we used to think that doing something online was kind of very limited and we wanted to you know it didn't seem like the real thing and nowadays we've realized the benefits i get to see all you guys wherever you are i'm in uh, northern california and um, it's 8 30 in the morning so good morning good afternoon good evening Um, i'm really grateful to be invited here um, and uh, to speak and to participate, um, I I'm not sure that I qualify as a secular uh, as someone who is a secular um, alcoholic, if that's a, if that's a term. I do identify as an alcoholic and an addict. My name is Kevin. I've been sober, clean and sober since
2: uh, June 7th of 1985. And um, the reason I say I'm not sure I
1: qualify is that uh, Buddhism is uh, a, wor- a religion, and uh, I do practice it, but, but I suppose it's true that most of us in the West, at least, uh, who practice Buddhist principles, uh, don't really practice it as a religion. So I can see how the connection is made. Um, I, I don't have anything special planned for this morning except to share a little bit about uh, the ideas of connecting Buddhist teachings and practices to recovery. Um, And I thought that uh, along those lines, since since the thing that Buddhism is best known for, and, and the reason that people from Alcoholics Anonymous usually are drawn initially at least to buddhism is the meditation practices so i thought i would lead a what i will consider a short meditation (laughs) i'm some i consider an hour to be a long meditation so a short meditation might just be 45 minutes but uh this morning i'll make it shorter than that maybe maybe about 10 or so just long enough uh i guess i like to just feel myself relaxing and settling and so uh i think that'll be 10 minutes or so but uh if you'll trust me and i have a, a little bell here that uh you'll hear that will that will indicate when the meditation period is over
2: so um However you are sitting standing or lying down, just coming into stillness.
1: You can close your eyes, or if you're more comfortable having your eyes open, just lowering your gaze. And beginning just by turning the attention inward to the
2: feeling of the body at rest letting the breath be natural not controlling or changing the breath and just having a sense of releasing any tension held in the body you might relax your jaw it's a place where there can be stress. Soften the belly. Let go of the shoulders. And noticing as well, what is your mood right now? What's your mind state? How are you feeling? Trying not to judge that or resist that, just right now, how is it? We practice mindfulness not to impose control or fix but to become at ease with the way things are whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or just neutral. So acceptance is a principle of mindfulness as it is with recovery. And letting the attention now gather around the breath to feel the body breathing. Oh, this can be done in different ways. You might,
1: you might focus on the sensations of air at the nostrils.
2: Just feeling the body breathing, touching, the movement of breath. Or you might put your attention on the chest or belly, feel the rising and falling, that rhythmic movement. And we're not trying to block out anything, whether there are sounds in your environment, sensations or thoughts. The breath is just a a place to land, to gather the attention. If the mind wanders, that's fine. We just come back when we notice the attention is strayed. When we approach the breath in this way, it can be quite pleasant, just relaxing, feeling the natural movement and sensation of breath, breathing in and breathing out. We're not trying to create any special mind state or blissful experience. Rather, we are trying to be more intimate with the present moment just as it is. Step 11 says we sought to improve our conscious contact. Mindfulness helps us to improve our conscious contact with the present moment, with reality. With things just as they are. Sitting in stillness can be quite revealing. We see the mind in its naked truth. And so We begin to see that we need to bring qualities of kindness, qualities of acceptance, compassion, to our own thoughts, to our own feelings. We see the inherent challenge of being a human being. All right, thank you. Um, A little over 20 years ago, I wrote a book proposal
1: entitled One Breath at a Time, Buddhism and the 12 Steps.
2: And when it landed on the desk of an editor at Rodale turned out that that editor was 15 years sober and she immediately saw the potential of what I was talking about
1: however when she took the book proposal to the editorial board at Rodale she was greeted with bewildered
2: looks and the question what is this, Who,
1: who's going to read this book? And she told them, trust me, <laughs> there's an audience for this book. Well, I, I didn't realize at the time that there was quite the audience that there it was. And uh, I've been very fortunate that, that some ideas that I had, And my my own practice and my own program manifested in a way that 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 was able to uh, reach a lot of people. But the question still comes, what is this? What is Buddhism and the 12 steps? And as I said earlier, many of the people who come to my work and and others now because there's now a kind of whole field of buddhist recovery and in fact an organization called the buddhist recovery network but many people first are drawn to or interested in in this idea of buddhism the 12 steps because they get to step 11 and they're told you know you you need to meditate now part of the program and uh and so th- they look around and go where do, where where am i going to learn that and one of the places they you know, will go is
2: some sort of buddhist center buddhist teacher buddhist book but that's not <laughs> where the program starts program doesn't start at step
1: 11 right so uh the question then becomes how how is this relevant for the other 11 steps Uh,
2: and what are we doing with buddhism around the other steps and i would well i I don't necessarily want to say i would argue but i would say that my
1: my uh approach uh really does For me take in all the steps and and really it's through this practice that i work the steps first of all and and some of you may have experienced this when i sit down to meditate and i try to focus my attention on the breath i very quickly realize that i'm powerless over my own mind over my own thoughts so that i'm in a
2: sense in the same bind as the addict with substances and the response is quite similar in fact
1: when I say that I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs it doesn't mean that I have to keep drinking and using and so when I say that I'm powerless over my own thoughts, it doesn't mean that I have to stop, keep thinking them. What it means is that I have to
2: change my relationship to them. Much as I've changed my relationship to drugs and alcohol. So This is a,
1: a starting point. So what does it mean to change your relationship to your thoughts? It implies, first of all, that, well, it doesn't just imply it states that you have a relationship to your thoughts, which means there must be something other than your thoughts in your mind. What's, what is that? I'm not sure I have the answer to that, but I do, I do know how to, to change my relationship to my thoughts because we, we see with this practice of mindfulness that it is
2: possible to see your thoughts, to look at your thoughts, to question your thoughts,
1: to analyze your thoughts, to doubt your thoughts, to argue with your thoughts. <laughs> so essentially, what we are doing is we are learning to disidentify with our thoughts. And this is, you know, in, in the recovery world we talk about don't take it personally yeah you know, i mean look, talk about that in more beyond the recovery world in buddhism the suggestion is that this very idea of yourself is a construction so we start to see that our thoughts themselves are constructed out of memories out of experience out of conditioning that the mind has a a life of its own. One of my one of my beloved and just late teachers, Wes Nisker, used to say, "Your mind has a mind of its own." <laughs> so this is what this is the first step, right? Discovering that oh, your mind is just doing its thing, and you're you're saying, "Why am I having that thought? Why can't I? What what's going on? I don't care about that." Why am I thinking the same thing over and over and over?
2: So we start to see that, that our thoughts are not exactly our own. And so
1: this gives us the opportunity to question our thoughts, to turn our attention to other things, to replace our thoughts. This is one of the practices of Buddhist meditation
2: replace an angry thought with a compassionate thought replace a you know uh, a fearful thought with a uh, thought of faith or hope now I don't I don't
1: mean to suggest that we we're going to step in and start imposing Oh, just just think positive, you know, (laughs) this is not at all um, my approach. But when we can just
2: start to see that these thoughts are not true and that they are not necessarily working for me,
1: then we can start to make different choices, just as we do with drugs and alcohol. And so if we move to step two, that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Okay. This is where those who are atheist or agnostic begin to question whether they're in the right place. Maybe I should find a different kind of a program because there's, they got God here and I don't believe in, in that guy.
2: And, and yet, if we don't acknowledge that
1: there are powers greater than us then we're not very realistic and, and uh, we can say this in very practical terms that there are governments and uh there's our, the climate and you know nature and many things that are that are more powerful than us but in a, in Buddhist terms in terms of applying the 12 steps to our recovery it means that we are going to look to the teachings of the buddha for some tools that can help us to heal to restore our sanity right and restored to sanity to me means you know a kind of healing it, it's emotional it's spiritual it's ethical it's operating on multiple levels that that restoration. And it turns out that the Buddha has his own kind of set of principles called the Eightfold Path that are meant to do this very thing, that are meant to restore us to sanity. And in Buddhist terms, that means to come out of delusion. There are some key elements of of what the Buddha calls delusion. The first one is this delusion of self. Of identity there's the delusion of permanence and there's the delusion of that satisfaction that ultimate satisfaction can be attained in this realm in this
2: world and the buddhist path makes us look at those premises
1: the premise of permanence of satisfaction of self and question them and see how they lead to suffering. And then learn to let go of that viewpoint and change our viewpoint. So the power, the first power that we draw on when we're working with Buddhism in the 12 steps is the power of mindfulness because mindfulness is about seeing reality It is about seeing what is true. And if we are insane, (laughs) as this step two suggests, if, or as Buddhists would say, deluded, or if we are living in what's called ignorance, or we might say in recovery terms, denial, then what we need first and foremost is to see what is true, what is
2: real. And mindfulness is the direct gateway into that, to seeing what is real. I mean, the first problem with that is the very
1: reason why we became addicts, which is that reality is is challenging to face. It means facing my own mind, facing my own emotions, facing my own responsibility in the world. But this is recovery, right? This is what recovery is about: is turning away from our deluded escapist way of living and turning toward the truth, turning towards an authentic life. And so mindfulness starts, is a training. And as I said, during the meditation, it improves our conscious contact with reality. We start to, we start with the body, feeling our body. Just as it is and then we start to tune in to subtler aspects of our experience the felt experience the emotional world and the mental world the thought world and what people usually discover in that process is that there is a tension a, a even a conflict between what we would call I will just pause it, between myself and my body. There's, it's uncomfortable or I don't like it. My feelings, they're unpleasant. I want them to be different. That's why I got high. My thoughts, they're, you know, stressful. They're anxious. They're, they're depressive. They're... You know, and this isn't to say that all these experiences that your body, feelings, and mind are all negative things. But when we sit, stop, and sit down and with just ourselves with no distraction, these things will appear. And so, the first thing we have to do is learn how to be with those experiences of body, feeling, and the mental world, the thought world. And this is what step three is we turn our will in our life over to the care of this process this eightfold path process which includes mindfulness concentration effort it also includes morality and sobriety it's one of the five precepts not lying cheating stealing not harming others in any way and it includes having clarity what's called right view understanding how things work you know, one of the delusions of addiction is that we can make the world fit into
2: our own preferences of how things should be and the the idea of right view is that there
1: is there is a principle essentially of cause and effect right the law of karma not a magical law but rather just cause and effect if you do wholesome take oh, this is this is buddhist language if you take wholesome actions there will be beneficial results if you take unwholesome actions there will be unbeneficial results it's pretty simple <laughs> but as addicts we really tried to get around that one. <laughs> we thought we could screw around and still get what we wanted and still be happy and you know and nobody would bind you know and and it just doesn't work. So turning it over is really about engaging in this process the, the Traditional way of describing this is called sila samadhi panya, morality or ethics, which is the, the beginning of recovery, it's the foundation of recovery, living an ethical and as I say, a wholesome life. Then training the mind, samadhi, tra- that's the meditation
2: that's that trains us to be able to see clearly. And then The last step here
1: is Panya, wisdom. So this is a a training, a gradual training that we engage in. Much like a recovery process, right? Recovery isn't just stopping drinking. There's a whole healing process that has to go on. We have to change our way of thinking, our way of viewing the world. And, And hopefully we develop and cultivate wisdom. So let's say, I don't know if I'm going to go through all 12 steps here because I have limited time, but um, <coughs> I at least want to get into the inventory process. So let's say that we've engaged in this kind of process. We've seen, can okay, powerless over my mind. I'm going to turn it over to this process, this mindfulness and cultivating mindfulness. And, and I will add an, another essential piece of this is cultivating loving kindness or uh, compassion or. Sort of cultivating not just you know to be to see how things are but to bring in a quality of kindness and i've turned my will in my life over to this process right to the care of this process important term right it's it's not a neutral thing that we're turning our it over to where there's a trust inherent in this that we're going to be cared for now we land on this you know fourth step which i've always thought it was an interesting relationship between step 3 and step 4 because if you took step 3 literally if you believed that god were going to rem- you know was going to take care of you then there wouldn't be any more steps if there truly was a, a supernatural being that could take care of you and you could turn your life over to then that step three would be the end of the process and it'd be like thank you god it's all good in fact what uh, what happens is that we're thrown into this very challenging part of the the steps the inventory and immense process four through nine and and so my sense of that is that step three as we as is often pointed out is just a decision. And that decision actually puts us face to face with ourselves. We turn our will and our lives over and we discover that, you know, it's not enough to just make a decision. <laughs> There's work to do. And the work begins
2: in Buddhist terms with un- unpacking our karma. So, look how the,
1: so the question becomes, how did I get here? because the way I got here is the direction that I'm going, you know, there's a flow of my life that is created by my past thoughts, words, and actions. And that those habitual patterns, just because I stopped one negative behavior does not mean that my mind and my the rest of my behavior is going to change. What, what it means is that I have enough clarity now to actually look at the underlying causes habits behaviors beliefs that got me here in the first place and so that's that's how i view inventory as this digging up to see how i got here so that i can know how i need to change and how to what what needs to be done what work needs to be done for me to go in a new direction And there's nothing quite so effective for that kind of inventory as sitting down and watching your own mind. So this is also known as meditation, right? So this is why I say step 11 for me is not the only time that I meditate. For me, I'm I'm using and seeing meditation as a tool throughout this process i'm seeing my powerlessness when i meditate in the process of meditation i am turning it over and then here in step four step five in this i am looking directly at my mind and taking an inventory of my mental habits of my emotional patterns and all of that and starting to really understand the underlying causes and, and I would say the underlying wounds as well as the damage I've done. Of course, that's the traditional AA approach is what did I do wrong? But, but really in terms of moving forward, looking at the things I, I did to other people isn't really the thing that has to be solved. It's what was going on that made me do all that stuff And how do I need to heal in order that I don't continue to behave in those ways? So that to me brings us, obviously we wanna share that with someone so we get feedback, but that brings us to step six and seven, which to me are really the key steps of the 12 steps, because what I think they are about is about change. And step seven itself, is probably the most biblical of the of the twelve steps. We humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Again, we're sort of seeing some kind of a magical process where uh, some some supernatural being reaches in and does psychic surgery on us and removes our shortcomings. Gotta get those shortcomings out of there. Well, obviously, that's not reality. So the question becomes: Well, what does this mean? How do I how do, how do these shortcomings get changed? So now I have to go back again to this idea that the power that I'm engaged in, if I'm practicing Buddhist meditation, is the power of the Eightfold Path, the transformative power of mindfulness, of loving kindness, of wisdom, of intention, of skillful behavior. And that by practicing these things and very intentionally choosing to act differently, moment by moment, to think differently, moment by moment, to let go of anger, to let go of self judgment, to let go of fear, to work with all of that. This is where the transformation begins to start to look at things through the lens of wisdom, rather than through the lens of self rather than saying, oh, this is all about me, to see, oh, this is the way things are. What is happening in this moment? Oh, anger is arising. That's wisdom, not you made me angry, (laughs) right? This is like these kind of key ideas where we start to see that our way of interpreting the world has been distorted has been uh, just wrong. We've misunderstood the world. And because we misunderstand the world, we react unwisely to it and unskillfully. And then we continue to behave in these ways that are counterproductive in our own lives. So with mindfulness and with these principles, we start to be able to make different choices. We start to be able to interrupt Oh, I see where that thought pattern is going because I see it because I'm mindful. And I know because I've come to understand where it leads. I realize that this anger or resentment leads to conflict, which leads to more pain, which doesn't isn't what I want in my life. So when I see that, I see, oh, there is anger. What's a skillful response to this? Is there something that needs to be said? how can I approach this without creating more harm? So this intentionality, this mindfulness, this loving kindness, this, these start to, they start to replace our ordinary ways of engaging the world, of interacting with people, of thinking about ourselves, of relating to ourselves. And this whole shift then The so-called shortcomings, you know, none of this language is quite right for me. But um, no character defects. But but the ways that I know that, you know, my life doesn't work because I don't quite know how to work it. Those things start to change. I start to learn how to how to work it through wisdom, through loving kindness through
2: insight through awareness and to me that's this is why i say that's the the
1: center of the steps for me the making amends is a is a
2: natural outflowing of that right because making amends really happens as a result of not I don't know I don't
1: know if it's quite the way, right way to put it, but I'll just say this for now to, to try to get across this idea that the making amends process is very much at a, a process in which we stop identifying with our own uh, with, uh, you know, the negative view of ourselves. because to make amends, if we if we believe that we are bad people who did bad things and that we have to you know ask people for forgiveness then we're carrying we're still carrying the wound but when we realize oh we were just you know uh, i mean it you know it says we tore to sanity but if you know if we see ourselves as wounded people who done did unwise things then we don't see it as so much personally. And, And there's a letting go in this process. It's, we're not afraid to be wrong. We're not afraid to admit a mistake. For me, before I was sober, I could not admit that I was wrong or admit my mistakes because that felt like a threat to who I was. But when we let go of trying to protect the ego, then there isn't a problem in making amends because there's nothing to protect anymore. So this is the freedom that comes in the, it's meant to come in the recovery path. That's a spiritual awakening, right? That we don't have to protect our ego anymore. And it's clearly a Buddhist insight as well, that we don't have to protect this illusory ego. So I think that's enough. (laughs) I've gotten you to step 10, step 10 is just a reiteration of four through nine and we've been meditating and we've had our spiritual awakening so just practice these principles in all your affairs and you'll be good to go (laughs) so thank you all for listening and uh and showing up for yourselves and uh we have some time if people want to ask questions or make comments and and uh I think Jeb is going to be in charge of uh, running this part of the show. We're gonna are people putting in co- uh, can they put
2: questions in the chat, or do they raise their? oh, I see some raised hands. Wonderful. Skylar. Hello. Um, that was a really interesting talk. I really appreciate that. I got to come here today. Um, there was something that I have written down about trying to find it, uh, turning away from the anger. It just was about like how oh the the a power
3: greater than yourself. So like turning over the these basic Buddhist processes, like that's what. So it's like I struggle with that. And I avoid um, recovery rooms when it's like when it has to do with anonymous groups, because it's like I don't believe in God and I'm pretty atheistic and agnostic. But then it's like the idea that I'm this power that is greater than myself as a tangible like thought process. It's like these Buddhist principles that are like literally outside of myself. That makes more sense to me. So I appreciate you saying that.
1: Thank you, Skylar. That's (laughs) <laughs> exactly how i think of it because you know we have this in our in western culture this abrahamic tradition that the three major western religions come out of you know there's this i i think actually theologically uh, inaccurate view of god as this being and particularly the a ridiculous notion that God has gender and that and that God is some being that intervenes personally in our lives makes no sense. So um, but we also can see that we're not in control of things. So the question, you know, the kind of approach, I think the question the Buddha was asking in a way is. What what does run the universe? <laughs> right. And I, kind of his, his answer is cause and effect, if I dare say. Jose. Jose. Thank
0: M. you. I I'd like to interrupt. We do have a timer because there are so many people here. Mo is the timer, and he will uh, ring uh, a bell or something at two minutes and forty-five seconds to ask you to wrap things up so we can move on at your three minute maximum to the next person please go ahead thank you
2: so jose from mishkan if you want to unmute oh i can do that Well, do we want to move on to the next person? No, we're still trying here now. Uh, Ya esta?
0: Go ahead, Jose.
2: Ya, ya me escucha?
0: Well, it says Jose M.
4: Let me make a translation announcement. For those of you who wish to hear this translated into English, uh, go to the middle of the, the bottom of your screen where it says "interpretation" and choose English. Otherwise, you will hear uh, the original language
2: spoken on the screen. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Marita. ¿Puedo hacer la pregunta? Hola. Sí, adelante, José.
0: Yes. Okay, muchas gracias. Buenos días. Muchas gracias por la participación. En México son las casi las 10 de la mañana. Concretamente la pregunta es la siguiente: hablamos mucho de pasado, presente y futuro. La pregunta es a partir de qué momento el presente se vuelve pasado, e igualmente a partir de qué momento el presente se vuelve, es decir, el futuro se vuelve presente. A ver si me explique.
2: Okay. Um, The concept of,
1: of time is a concept. Uh, There is no future or past. Uh, There is only, this present moment. So that's pretty much the only thing I can say about it. That's just uh, we, we can only ever be in the present moment.
2: So I don't know if I can say anything more. I mean,
5: okay, could, Chad, yeah. Yeah, Chad, go ahead. Hello. Uh, <clears throat> thanks. I'm Chad. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, Kevin, I have to say I, I love your book, um, and I have recommended it to several other people, The One Breath at a Time, and I, I just got the workbook. I'm excited to go through it. I have a friend uh, who's been sober for more than 20 years um, and an NAA that whole time and uh, could not get through step three. Uh, until he read your interpretation. So, uh, you know, I say you are um, touching people and, and really making a difference. Um, I I have two questions. Um, the first is really simple, which is, I wonder where you got the bicycle print behind you, because it has been catching my attention the entire time. Uh, on your other side, the the Laughing Buddha, it looks.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's from my uh, album. Okay. I have an, an album called Laughing Buddha. And uh, a a woman named Anna Oneglia designed it.
5: Thank you. It's lovely. Um, And I just, you talk a lot, of course, the Buddha talked a lot about the illusion of self. Uh, And I wonder if you could talk a bit about um, really how letting go of that illusion and sobriety go hand in hand
2: for you. It'd be easier for me to talk about the bicycle print, but uh <laughs> um, well let's go to um the
1: the twelve traditions where it says that Anonymity was the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. So the way I view that is that
2: it's telling us that attachment to self is the cause of suffering. And that when we come to a meeting, we
1: are letting go of self and anonymity is by definition letting go of self it's letting go of identity and we just see that when so clinging to identity isn't just about this is who i am but it's about my opinions you know my views my stances on things my belief system and the when I when I have this solid, unmovable viewpoint about things, then I wind up stuck and in conflict. And so when I realize that, you know, myself is a construction, <laughs> it's... it's not just a construction it's a construction in progress in continual progress it's being built and falling apart and changing continuously so that that allows me to not be so attached to my beliefs to my you know i mean like a classic question like well it says you know you're going to be reborn in buddhism well do i believe in reincarnation do do i need to take a stance on that Uh, you know and you and you wind up well this is true this is not true i i don't know i can't remember (laughs) i don't remember my past lives so just just letting it's really about letting go of beliefs to me and, and not staying uh in these, you know, when I got sober and my early recovery, I was a very, very strictly following the 12 steps and believed that everything they told me in AA meetings, and I don't believe all that anymore because that's, I've questioned it and I, you know, I haven't sort of tried to cling on to that. And I see people who get very stuck with one idea, even though it's not working for them. So anyway, that's just one one thing that comes to mind. I hope it's helpful.
2: There's so many hands up. (laughs) Morgan, do you want to unmute?
3: Hi, Kevin. Hi. Um, Thank you for being here. I I really don't have a question. Um, I really am just wanting to thank you. Um, And I feel myself getting emotional, but um, I am. 10 months sober. And um, so I'm new to all of this. And I go to six meetings that are regular AA a week. But my old sponsor introduced me to your book. And on Thursdays, a group of us do a Dharma recovery meeting, and we're studying your book. And Um, It's funny that the question just came above about self because that was like a huge part of our discussion um, a couple of days ago was we're in step seven and Mm -hmm. that, um, that question of like, is there a self? What is that? What does that mean? It's, it's really, really nice. Your book has made a huge impact on me um, and helped me because I, I struggle with the God thing and your book just provides so much of a different insight than what I get when I go to meetings. Um, and I'm just, I am so, so, so grateful to have been able to come to this this morning and be studying your book. So I just wanted to say thanks for being here and I appreciate this more than more than you know. So thanks.
1: Thank you so much. That's lovely, Morgan. Appreciate it. Where, where are you?
3: I'm in Flagstaff, Arizona.
1: Oh, okay. Awesome.
3: We nice. don't have any secular meetings here, so it's okay. I'm, I'm a lot. I, I I can like transfer things in my brain yeah. during yeah. all the meetings. Fine. But I really like
2: studying your book. So it's nice. very helpful. That's great. Thank you. So. I see. Sakia Su, is that that right? Hello,
4: everybody. Thank you so much, Kevin. I I got so much out of your presentation. Um, I've been in the AA program for many years, about 28 years, and I've gotten a lot from this conference. One thing I heard the other day was somebody said that AA teaches you how not to drink alcohol. But it really doesn't take care of the whole rest of your life, your mindset. Well, in 2012, um, I made a geographic to Florida from Arizona and met a Buddhist group there. And, um, and the, the way that they said everybody welcome. they did free meditations every day at lunchtime. And I just, I was attracted to it, you know, it was like, had little, this little golden temple, like in the middle of a barrio, basically. So um, I want to say that it really changed, uh, it really amped up my program. Um, I'm not a religious person, but I am spiritual. And I've always believed that there were, you know, in my opinion, many spiritual elements to the universe um when when we talk about i was goddess worshiper since i was a child i'm like i don't think there's some big guy in the sky who has white hair and sits in a chair i'm thinking it's it's a it's a nature goddess you know so i worship nature um but there's a there's a tara in buddhism which is wisdom so am i really worshiping this woman no i'm worshiping wisdom and the same mm-hmm. thing with like, you know, you have all these different deities, Avilokitashvara is worshiping compassion. You know, that's compassion manifested as it appears to the individual. So um, I've incorporated a lot, I think this time around, I'm I'm a retread because I stopped smoking pot. And six and seven is where it really started to change. You know, I said, am I entirely ready? And am I going to give up all these, you know, personality quirks? Am I ready? Am I ready? And that's when I really started to see the whole picture more clearly. And it's a lifetime process. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. Thank you so much. I'm going to get a copy of your book. I'm also Mm -hmm. in Arizona. High flag staff over there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Thank you. Thank you, thanks for your share. Claudia? Gracias, eh, compañeros. Muchísimas gracias, Kevin, por eh, lo que
6: estás compartiendo. Eh, me gustó muchísimo lo que hablaste sobre el ser de esto que de esto se trata, no? Este el programa y las herramientas que nos proporciona el budismo de ser mejores seres humanos y Eso me, me vuelve mucho a mi centro. Eh, mi dificultad con esto es que creo que, eh, por otra parte, no he desarrollado herramientas de autocuidado. Entonces paso de la compasión y comprensión de otro ser humano, evento, situación, a verme en medio de los procesos de otros que llegan a lastimarme y afectarme. Y entonces yo quiero saber, ¿cómo puedo darme cuenta hasta qué punto estoy
2: siendo compasiva y hasta qué punto estoy siendo negligente conmigo? ¿Cómo puedo detectarlo? Gracias. Yes, uh, I really appreciate that the suggestion that we should take care of others
1: (laughs) and that, you know, in particularly Bill Wilson's version of the 12 steps, he was talking about his own personality, which was very self-centered. However, many people Are just the opposite of that and are centered on other people. And as you suggested, it can be more important to learn to take care of yourself than it is to necessarily take care of others. So there is no one way to approach recovery or spiritual spiritual path. We need to address our individual personality and tendencies and bring a wise response to them so that we can live in a balanced way between self-care and compassion for others. And that's why a program like Al-Anon exists for people who are out of balance. In in terms of taking care of others, instead of taking
2: care of themselves, so I hope that helps.
0: Your good, Miles. Go ahead, please.
7: Ah, oh, thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Kevin. I'm I'm Miles. I'm in Devon, in England. Uh, really good to hear you, Kevin. I read your book some years ago, and, um, you know, it's interesting, that old idea when the student's ready, the teacher teacher arrives. And, mm. um, you know, I've been around regular AA for well, it's been about 34 years. I've been sober. So, like, you know, when I first came in, I, I had a, a really low sense of self. But working through the original AA began, and with the help of really good kind-hearted sponsors and gentleness and you know, um, uh, firm love. I was very lucky, um, you know, began to develop a, a stronger sense of self. And that was when questions started getting asked about, hey, I'm not so sure about this in AA. Have I got the right to question it? And and so I did. And, and now I find myself in secular AA, uh, not only in secular AA, but in Dharma recovery and a, and a connection with Buddhism, which is really important to me. I go to a lot of retreats. And, um, you know, a 12 step in Buddhism is a wonderful combination. What I found is that when I'm around people who are practicing Buddhists, they don't have to be in recovery. But that same vibe that I get in the Sangha with with practicing Buddhists is very similar to the folks I get in in recovery. And and that's really, really important. I could say that that is much more so than it was with, you know, the general public in, in ordinary AA. And also in secular AA, I feel that so so I feel quite blessed these days that I've got these two recovery twelve step groups that verge Secular is much more loving, I find much more free thinking, uh, and and so is Buddha, and so is Buddhism. Um, so so I just wanted to thank you for you know being in there and doing the job that you do, and 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 allowing you know these kind of crossovers that are so important because you know the eightfold path for me is the equivalent of the steps and a lot more yeah. and and everyone is proceeded with why is why is this why is that why is that um but i think it's only because i've had a little bit of time sort of going through the uh being in the trenches you know in ordinary aa and yeah. struggling through the steps to be able to come to this place where you know there's a whole there's a lot more out there for me to learn and uh Okay,
1: thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Miles. Uh, I'll just say that when I started to engage in this work and write about it, it was very much with the idea that people who started in AA and worked the program that I saw that a fair number of people kind of hit a wall and needed something more and that's what i that's who I was trying to address. It's not true for everybody. Some people are completely fine with just working the twelve steps, but uh, there are enough that uh, need another path that that I thought it was important and
2: um, so, yeah, but th- so thank you <laughs> anyway. I'll leave it at that so we're done. Kevin, I'm Tim. Um...
8: I really appreciate your talk today. I got so much from it. Um, I asked a question of a Buddhist teacher the other day about the concept of of God and, and got a response that in some sense, you know, everything's all interconnected. You know, we are one big system of a multitude of different beings, and that all of us together in some sense create reality and what reality is. Uh, which kind of goes back to the whole concept of karma, that in some sense, as we each make choices, uh, that changes reality. So do, do you somewhat think of, of a higher power being the overall reality of everything? And is that a good concept of, of living in reality and in a more you know, peaceful acceptance of everything that happens?
2: Well, I think the the short answer
1: is I wrote a book, <laughs> my second book, which is, I've actually just got the rights back to it, and I'm changing the title of it, but it has been known as A Burning Desire, Dharma God and the Path of Recovery. And it was an attempt to look at the different elements of Buddhism that can be viewed as powers and particularly how you could turn your will and your life over to those powers. So my, so fundamentally, fundamentally, my approach has always been practical. It's not theological. Like it's not really important to me to define God in the big picture. The question always has been for me, how do I, tur- how do I turn my will and my life over to a Buddhist higher power? Not what uh, you know. Not to necessarily give an overarching explanation of what that is. The your the, the, your Buddhist teacher. I I'm not un, unhappy with that definition. It it concerns me when uh, I was afraid. And I'm glad you he didn't hear. Oh, there is no God in Buddhism, because I think that's a very limited understanding of what god means i think one of the big problems in the world is that we define god in unhelpful ways um and in any case yeah i think that's i'll leave it at that 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 uh, you know i'm mostly interested in how do we turn our will and our lives over to something
2: you know yeah thanks for asking Hey, I'm Beth. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Beth. I very much enjoyed your
6: presentation. I'm the author of the book, We're Not All Egomaniacs, which Uh addresses your point that we're not all like Bill W. And in fact, you know, I was raised by people who were only too happy to tell me who I am, what I think, how I feel, what I want, what I need, what I don't need, what, you know, and I had no actual concept of self except for what was put on me by others so a lot of my recovery has been about building a sense of self that's congruent with my own um feelings and drives and interests and values and you know just putting something together that feels like a safe home base inside of me and then I start hanging around people that were doing Dharma recovery, and the, and they're <laughs> all saying you got to get rid of that, and it right. me out.
1: <laughs> That's not helpful. But I
6: did hear you say something about self-care, so you acknowledge right. yourself. So Absolutely. Would you, you comment on that?
1: <laughs> That's that really good question, Beth. Thank you, and and I think there's a lot we could talk about, but but to your question, it, it goes to something that was said by I think. John well would but in any case uh some years ago we have to have a self before we can let go of self and I absolutely agree with you that we need to do a lot of healthy work with ego around ego before we can really proceed any further on a spiritual path so the the basic uh, maybe the simplest way to approach this is to recognize that there is a functional self, no matter what we're not getting. And, and the Buddhism isn't about getting rid of a self. That's because if the, if a Buddhist says there isn't a self, then there's nothing to get rid of (laughs) what we're uh, the, the Buddhist principle is that we are seeing through the illusion of a solid permanent self. Nonetheless, there, if we see that in the relative sense, there is a functional self that we're, that's, we have to deal with, that has a history, that has emotions, that has a story, there's an identity there. And then on an absolute level, we can see that that identity is actually a construction, just like this house this is a construction it seems solid it's functional it, it, uh, even though I know that it's just made up of atoms that are all moving and it's mo- that are mostly space I still can't walk through the walls so the, fu- the functional self and the absolute self and the thing is or the or the illusory self or so the thing is we get the two confused if we if we are overly attached to one or the other. If we're attached to the functional self and don't realize that it's actually a construction, then we spend our lives trying to build it up, which is the Bill Wilson problem, right? Which you're talking about. But we can also spend our lives tearing it down. And neither of those is helpful, right? Those are both harmful approaches to that self. We see that i see the functional self as something that has to be taken care of because it exists it's a reality and my relationship to it has a lot to do with my happiness if if i am angry with myself i'm suffering if i'm glorifying myself i will suffer because that glorification will end so We just see that this is a functional reality that we deal with, but on another level, we see that it's actually a construction, so that we don't have to be completely identified with it or see it as as the the absolute truth. I I hope that gets to something of the question, but it's mostly just uh, finally to say, Buddhism isn't a belief system. It's a practice that is meant to reveal insights and the insight into not self is something to be explored rather than to be believed. We running out of time, Jeb?
0: This, yes. Thank you, Kevin. We only have about five minutes left yeah. before we have to wrap up. So I apologize that we can't get to everyone. So I hope you will continue to share with one another. But Cap, thank you, Kevin, so much. And you brought up so much of My personal history that, you know, when I was still an an evangelical charismatic Christian, I actually called myself a hyphenated Christian because I was trying to practice and incorporate the noble truths and the Eightfold Path as the ideals of the kind of person I really wanted to be. And then when I came into AA in my fourth step, the last process of which is to write down a sane and sound ideal for my future relationships. Of course, those things ended up in there. But AA and you people like you helped me to tap into that potential. And that's what I look for for everybody. And Your generosity of your time and your message and your experience today, is, I know, greatly appreciated. And I hope everyone realizes that this session, like Others have been recorded and they will be posted on aasecular.org with the recordings of other, uh, of the previous two virtual conferences. So that's amazing. And uh, I, the next session, of course, is going to be, be Bill Schauberg, who's going to be talking about uh, f- from, religion spiri- spirita, from religion to spiritual, spiritual, from religion to spiritual. And that should be very enlightening, even though he's talking about the bill's evolution in those early years. I think we can see that AA as a whole is slowly moving from religious to spiritual, and you are a big part of it, Kevin. So love you. Thanks, Jeb.
1: I I put my website in the chat. Um, it's kevingriffin.net. For I know if some people didn't get to ask questions. You can email me through my website or if you google kevin griffin i show up usually i'm not the guitar player for better than ezra he's the other person that shows up so
0: um, thank you and that's exactly the way i found you <laughs> oh, good
1: good website. yeah yeah so yeah. so if people want to be in touch please feel free uh to email me it's really lovely i'm really glad i was invited to do this and and uh, i hope everyone's Don't drink or use no matter what and uh, find joy in your recovery.
2: That's wonderful. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Thank you. Thanks, everybody.